Welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel podcast. Today you'll be hearing from Pastor Ted Hill, the program director of the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute. He'll be teaching on the topic of the trustworthiness of Jesus. Jesus, I'm very mindful of that song, Do It Again, marching around walls and they don't seem to fall. <laughs> There's a lot of things in our lives that we look at and wonder why it, why it hasn't changed, why, why things aren't different. We read your word and you promise things will be different and sometimes they're not for long periods of time. And yet, Jesus, you convince us through the richness of your word that you are fully invested and fully committed and deeply faithful. You are good, and we give you thanks that you will continue to do it again. Jesus, uh, we pray now that you would shape this time, our our last kind of full time together as we dig into... uh, proclaiming and recognizing and dwelling in how trustworthy you are even in the most difficult things that truly your, do, your light does shine in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And I give you thanks for that. So Jesus, I ask that you would bless the words in my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts that they might be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Redeemer, make your word living and active that we may know that you are interacting with us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I was really enjoying uh, when it was shouted out, stump time, and just these these little things in in camping ministry as the summer goes on. There's there's these little interactions between staff that is just delightful. You really see kind of glimpses into the character of who they are together in those moments. And uh, I remember we always tried to mess one another up. Uh, We do that on staff sometimes too at CLVI. When things are happening, we try to have something in there to mess one another up, and it's quite quite delightful to see those dynamics. <laughs> They're an amazing, amazing staff, Craig. Thank you. you are an amazing staff. We love you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And Jacob, he's a staff too. And Annika, she's a staff too. Wow. It never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> Jesus is trustworthy. We're gonna look in John 13 uh, today. Uh, We're going to look in a chunk of Luke 22, not all of it, and I put Luke 22 in there. (laughs) You know, I think Luke 22 has 72 verses, so we probably won't read the whole thing, (laughs) which sounds kind of funny at a Bible camp. Why would we read less of the Bible? Hmm. And then we'll dig into uh, the end of John 21, which is really, really important. Um, How many, just a quick question, how many of you ever read this book, In the Name of Jesus, by Henri Nouwen? It's quite a stunning little book. Um, It's it's, it's subtitled Reflections on Christian Leadership, but it's really extraordinary some of the things he does, and he talks about um, um, Jesus uh, confronting Peter um, there after his resurrection, and we'll uh, touch on that a little bit. And what what does it mean, this, this call, this transformation from big mistakes, is which we're gonna talk a little bit about today, 
and, and how Jesus redeems that and, and enters in and, and calls us and calls us again. Because sometimes, I don't know if you felt it, but I know I have. I've felt very much that um, I have blown it, I've missed it. I am no longer worthy of his call. And the trustworthy, trustworthiness of Jesus shines most profoundly in, um, in when we think we've blown it, when we think we've really screwed up this time and Jesus comes, comes to us again. And I give thanks for that. So just a brief reminder here. Uh, we belong to Jesus because he will never stop speaking into our lives. And that's what I love about the parables. That's why I called it the language of belonging because sometimes even we're not actually reading a parable. When we are needing God to jump to life in us, those words that kind of settle in and are planted in our hearts, they jump to life and Jesus speaks to us again, reminding us that we do belong. We belong because he will never stop speaking into our lives. And we believe because Jesus is always at work expanding our trust in who he is and how he works. And we see some of that through the miraculous. And we become, we are becoming amidst the trials, the heartaches, the losses, the brokenness, the failings, and the sin. All of that is in the process of becoming. Um, uh, I, I often say to, uh, when I do pre-marriage counseling, I don't do many weddings anymore outside the parish, uh, uh, but I often say, your marriage does not grow when things are going well. You enjoy the beauty of the growth that's happened, but it doesn't grow when things are going well. It grows when you get to impart forgiveness to one another. That's when it really begins to expand because there's something extraordinary about vows coming to life and grace and mercy being imparted to one another. When we get to forgive one another, our marriages grow and our relationships grow. When we're in the context of church, when we are able to forgive one another, that's when growth really happens. We become in the midst of those trials, heartaches, losses, brokennesses, failings, and sin because God shows us that we can't do it and he is doing it. And I think that is extraordinary and I'm thankful for that because if it was up to me, I'd be sunk, <laughs> right? I, ah. That's what I love about his grace. It's often so surprising because I would have never thought that he is actually like that and he shows up. So today we want to talk about Peter in a journey with the story of Peter. Uh, probably heard many of these things a number of times, quite likely. Uh, but I love the story of Peter because it tells me who Jesus is. <laughs> Fame and infamy, infamy seem to be intertwined in Peter's stormy discipleship journey. The most astounding thing about Peter's story is how we know Jesus. I'm astonished by the level of commitment Jesus had to Peter. And we become keenly aware of how fully Jesus knew Peter, how Jesus was never caught off guard by Peter's words or actions. And Jesus saw where all this painful and chaotic narrative was heading. And Jesus never walked away. That is what blows my mind. 
And I've said that a number of times already. Jesus never walked away. So let's look a little bit of the chaos of uh, the beautiful life of Peter. <laughs> As I am some, we, I think, uh, how many of you sometimes identify with Peter? Part of who you are identifies with Peter. There's a few of us here, yeah. It's, um, what other disciple do you identify with? It's not on my nose, but what's a disciple you identify with? Just shout it out. Matthew? <laughs> That's good. Are you thinking particularly of the chosen? You're not like that. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, that's good. Matthew. What other disciple do you kind of identify with? Pardon? Andrew? One of, one of the Thunder Boys? Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. What other disciples do you connect with? Thomas, interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I marvel at, um, I, I always look at just how gutsy Thomas was when he put that ultimatum down because he wasn't in, in the first resurrection appearance because he said, unless I see and do and put, I will not believe. And I just think, ah, oh. and Jesus didn't say, yeah, you've asked too much or anything like that. He just walked right up to, and I love how he walks into that room. He goes straight to Thomas, and he says, okay, Thomas, <laughs> here it is. Put your hands here, put it here. Now is the time to believe, yeah. Thomas, yeah, that's a good one. I identify with Peter a lot. So let's look at John 13, and we'll read, I think we'll read most of it. Yeah, we'll read the whole chapter. It's not that long. So, uh, kind of a little bit of the context um, just before this. So, John 11, which we read a few days ago, was Jesus raising Lazarus. And then, do you remember what happened in John 12? It was kind of, I think it was a celebration supper. (laughs) And uh, Jesus was at Mary and Martha's, and his feet was anointed, anointed for Burial, he says in there. She has done this because of my burial. And then we have John 13, which is the start of the passion narrative in John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I just read this this morning and I missed that completely and just stuck, stuck that. Pause for a second. Uh, I gotta ask Nate, Russ isn't here yet. Nate, have you ever read the gospel text on Sunday morning and go, wow, how did I miss that all week? You've done that before? I, I do that, I, I've done that often. You can spend a whole week studying and, and, and sometimes, sometimes we can study really hard and then we speak it in the body of Christ, and we go, oh, wow, and it, that just happened. <laughs> it's just like, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. <sighs> I think that's what I need to hear today, wow. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. <laughs> but afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you will, shall never wash my feet. Sorry, Jacob, I was talking really quiet, and now I'm talking loud. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him. Oh, Simon Peter said to him, I mean, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, I think he did that. The one who has bathed does not need to wash Peter except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And I'm struck all of a sudden too. I'm always trying to figure out what was Jesus' tone of voice. Was it the sarcastic, but not every one of you, Wing, uh, just putting his head over to Judas. No, I, I think this was a grief moment. I, I, I'm just feeling that right now. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. It, it's so interesting, Let's pause for a sec. Um, it was so interesting to, to see this this. Peter's, he, he has some particular ideals. So obviously a rabbi would never wash his disciples' feet. I think that's the cultural thing of why Peter said, no, you, you're washing my feet? That was the role of a servant or probably one of the lowest disciples to wash everybody's feet. I'm not 100% certain who exactly was supposed to, but clearly the rabbi would never wash any of the disciples' feet. That's not part of the rabbinical tradition. And so he wants to refuse this. So he has strong ideals and, 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 and probably perceives this as doing something really honoring to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you can't be part of me if I don't do this. And then he goes all in. Okay, <laughs> just dump it on me then, right? Wash everything. Oh, Peter, right? So you really see his passion, but he missed it. And Jesus kept going. And that's what's extraordinary, and I see that for me. Sometimes my passion gets me into trouble and I miss the point. But Jesus still keeps going with Ted. He still does. He hasn't cast me aside yet. And I'm pretty certain he never will. And so when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. I wanna pause for a second. Wanna, uh, how many of you ever had uh, been to a uh, Monday, Thursday service or a, um, a, a Seder meal service and there's a washing of feet? How many of you ever been to those, yeah? How many of you absolutely delighted in having your feet washed by someone else? <laughs> Nobody, right? <laughs> it is probably one of the most uncomfortable things I think we do as, as a Christian church. <laughs> and uh, in my first parish in, in, in southern Saskatchewan, a town called East End, Saskatchewan, and we were, 
way out of town at White Valley Lutheran Church. And it had uh, no running water and no bathroom. It had an outhouse and an old wooden outhouse too. <laughs> and uh, the basement was really kind of, uh, it, w- it was... <laughs> It was awful. But anyways, uh, we had a Monday, Thursday, uh, or a Seder, Seder meal, Seder remembrance meal down there. And a um, uh, small group of people in this country congregation, and I think the average age was 90 or <laughs> close to it. <laughs> there was like 10 people there, and they were all in their 80s, uh, I think. Well, maybe they weren't then. <laughs> they are now. <laughs> they weren't then. But they, they were all a lot older than me. Um, and... Um, this widower, E.O. Hansen. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think his, his name was Evelyn with a Y. Um, but he goes, went by E.O. E.O. Hansen. He was really deaf and uh, he was a widower. And, and we did a washing of feet. I think this was maybe the first time I did this with, with the parish. And I remember getting everything ready and going to everybody's feet. And, and most people were uncomfortable but willing. And then I realized, oh, I'm going to EO. He probably hasn't heard what's going on. He probably hasn't heard a thing. And I have this strong feeling that he has zero desire for me to take off his shoes and socks. But he was willing. And he just, he just kind of just moved to the side and I began to untie his shoes and pull his socks off. <laughs> and his toenails were probably about this long and yellow and his feet stunk. It was just like, and then I started doing it. I started washing his feet. And just his posture of willingness just really blew my mind. And it ended up being one of the most profound and holy experiences of my ministry, for sure, up to that point. But washing feet, there's something so vulnerable about it and so intimate about it and so, uh, so beautiful. And, and of course, in Jesus' culture, it had a different context, but... Jesus used this in a very distinct way, and, and I grew very close to EO, and uh, when I did his funeral, that was, I think that was the first funeral that I did in the parish that I was really close to a parishioner, and it was, like, it was hard to do. I, I, it was hard to get through it, um, and, and I think a big part of it was because of this particular experience, and, and his family was really sweet. We had an older van, and he had a newer van, and they, they didn't want to sell it. They just gave us the van. Uh, it, it was just like, oh. There was some really beautiful connection there, and I think a lot of it had to do with this strange experience of washing his feet. I still see them in my head. It's just like, from a purely human perspective, it was the most awful experience in the world. But from a pastoral faith, spiritual perspective, is one of the more beautiful. But Jesus, is, he says, for I give you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. And very much, it's lowering ourselves, getting off the high places of, of power and control and, and serving. And then Jesus, to continue here, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's John, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he's speaking. Peter wanted to be in the know, didn't he? (laughs) So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. (laughs) I just thought, I wonder, I wonder if John was terrified at that moment because he was the closest to Jesus. It is he who I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. I just noticed that afresh too. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus or Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after the receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night, darkness. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I had said to the Jews, so now I say to you also. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I always find that fascinating that this is a new commandment. Has Jesus said love one another before? (laughs) What's new about it? What's new is love one another as I have loved you. It very much connects us with the person of Christ. Yes, Kirk? Of the church. Yeah, that's very good. Good, thank you, Kirk. That's helpful, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not just love your neighbor as yourself. It's love one another. Have love for one another. Yeah, right, and, 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 it's, and, and Jesus does say that. The world will know, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another here. Yeah, that's really good. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus just said, I'm going and you cannot come. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. (laughs) Some things Jesus says are so cryptic, aren't they? It's like, what does that mean? Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. There's an incredible amount of passion again, similar with uh, the washing of his feet. There's passion, but he missed it. Passion, but he missed it. And, uh, and sometimes we experience these moments of missing it, even, even when we have a great deal of passion. Um, how many of you have experienced kind of this, this pain and tension of, of missing it with Jesus? Uh, doing something stupid, not saying something when, when the nudging and the calling to uh, speak or act or serve or love uh, is there and you haven't. Um, how many of you have felt like you've blown it or fallen away or denied Jesus? I think it's really important to understand the trustworthiness of Jesus when we are able to honestly recall those and recognize those and speak those out. To notice where you think you've blown it, you think you've fallen away, you think you've denied Jesus. I want us to take a little bit of time in small groups. We don't have a Russ here. I don't know where... I know, but he's the small group group breaker outer guy. I know. Should we do it? Should we ask Nate to do it? Thank you for joining us today on the Mount Carmel Podcast. We hope that you'll join us again for the next episode when Ted continues his teaching series on the trustworthiness of Jesus. Thank you.